Are there legacy firms on Sand Hill Road that won't exist some years down the road because they're not doing what you're doing? 100%. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. If there's something we've learned from Theranos, the blood testing company, it's that if somebody says they've invented something amazing, you had better see the damn thing work for yourself. The misperception that I think Chris Farmer of Signal Fire has invited me to see his super secret future of venture capital, a decision-making computer system called Beacon. You know, you're smiling. You're, well, you're not quite smiling. You're, you've got a strange poker. <laughs> yes, as he pauses to take a, a, a sip of water. Okay, so you're doing that then. We're going to talk about what Chris is doing and how, but I've agreed not to say too much about what I've seen. But I can say I have seen Beacon work. A database of more than 40 million people and companies, including lots of details about you, if you work in high tech, but it's more than a database. Beacon, Chris says, makes decisions and Beacon learns. When I walked in, I challenged you to show me Beacon because I didn't know what it would look like. I said, was it, you know, this giant blinking machine out of Star Trek behind a, a, a locked door? No, it's on your laptop. And as you were showing me, you got very enthusiastic. <laughs> yes, it's... Uh... You'd have to be crazy to spend as much time building systems as I have, so you, you better be passionate about it. Beacon, a single laptop, lets Signifier become a data-driven venture capital firm from start to finish. Full stack, as Chris would say. We're the first venture firm built full stack um, as a technology company, and so that means every process of the firm from deal sourcing from, you know, is built with systems and data, but all of the workflow collaboration tools, task management, et cetera, is built in a closed loop. Every deal you make, every hire that you suggest goes through Beacon. Yes. So one way or another, it may not always be sourced by the Beacon platform. It may come from a network of advisors or traditional referral, but we use it as a core workflow of everything that we do to understand how it 
ranks compared to competitors, what the richness of the revenue is, how sustainable that is, what the quality of the team is, and all sorts of dimensions like that. Some of those things, uh, you know, seem like they'd be subjective, the quality of the team. How do you put a data point on the quality of the team? It's, it's relatively complicated. It depends on the first thing you have to do is categorize them by the type of, you know, person they are. Um, are they a data scientist? Are they a soft, you know, iOS developer? Are they a designer, et cetera? And the characteristics, no different than like an athlete, would, the, the stats would totally change depending on what they are. But we look at sort of their work experience, how fast they've been promoted, what types of organizations they work for, how hard it was to get into those organizations, the sort of academic achievements they may have had, sort of online contributions of various kinds. Open and how many people are we talking about in this database? Uh, overall, it's about 40 million people, about 10 40 million, million people. Yes. How could you possibly know how quickly somebody got promoted if we're talking about 40 million different people? Well, clearly you can't do it manually. <laughs> so you have to build sort of, you know, like a mini Google in order to do that, which is large scale search processes and tons of data pipelines in order to canonicalize, disambiguate, normalize, et cetera, all of the data that comes in unstructured. And then, but there's tons of stuff on people's websites. There's tons of things in regulatory filings. There's tons of things some in of it you're, Some of it you're scraping, some of it you're paying for. Um, around people, it's all stuff that we collect in the public domain. Okay, and then when it comes to the companies, you might you might be paying for some. There of that are data. some data sets that are not available on the public domain. You think you spend about ten million dollars a year on in all in systems and team and everything else? We we spend uh, something in that ballpark, if not more. It strikes me Beacon is a lot like Slack. Slack started as a video game company that built its own internal communication software only to discover it was the communication software and not the game that was the real treasure. Slack is now a $12 billion company. You're a venture capital firm, but it seems to me the most valuable thing in this firm is your laptop. Yeah, so uh, so there's a couple of interesting points to that. So one interesting point in that Slack analogy is that it's not about a point in time. It's about continuous monitoring. The, the nature of the traditional venture approach is you meet with the company and you make a decision based on the data points at that time, which if you were looking at, let's say, the gaming company before it became Slack, you would have totally missed the opportunity. So first off, the system has to be built for continuous monitoring. Uh, you know, As far as the value, the nature of competitive intelligence is the more people that have it, the less it's worth. Uh, and so you could either make a decision to be an arms dealer to all the other VCs, and then it would degrade in value the more people have it, or you could use it as a competitive tool to build, hopefully, the next generation leading edge VC, which is what we chose to do. Um, so that's that's why we uh, keep it internally. Are there firms on Sand Hill Road or elsewhere that have something even vaguely similar? There are some firms that are starting to take some more serious efforts. Lots of people put up smoke and mirrors about the, the things that they're doing here. Um, you know, Google Ventures is probably one of the most advanced in some of these things. And then KOTU, which is a big quant hedge fund that's entered the market, is, has a very serious data science effort. As far as I'm aware, no venture firm goes fully end-to-end -end the way that we do with all the workflow in the closed loop. The very definition of machine learning requires feedback loops for the machine to learn. And so if you're taking a data science approach and using data, but then the loop breaks because the whole firm is not built end-to-end -end like this, then 
then you lose, I think, the vast majority of the value. And as far as I know, we're unique in that sense. Yeah, the closed loop, I, I was going to interrupt you, and then I realized you were going exactly there, that, that even if I build something that has the same number of data points as you have, um, you've then le leapfrogged ahead of me just while I'm building it because you are further reinforcing the data that's inside yours because it's continuously moving through that closed loop. That's certainly the goal. So, I mean, if you think about this from Google, you know, they created an algorithm early on, which has now been published, and lots of people have followed it. What's kept Google competitive, obviously, they haven't stood still, but is also the massive amount of feedback loops they get from all the search traffic because of their dominant market share. Um, as a result, when Microsoft wanted to enter the market, they had to cut deals with Facebook and Yahoo and, and others in order to drive enough traffic in order to tune their own algorithm. And so, you know, I think it's it's a very important part of a system like this is to really build it out end to end. You invested in Zoom Pizza, and I would assume you put your investment questions through Beacon when you did it. I understand that you don't want to give away too much about Beacon, but what what does Beacon know about pizza. <laughs> Actually, a remarkably large amount. I believe you. Um, at the time uh, when we met with Zoom, Alex Garden was the sole founder with a PowerPoint. Um, there was nothing else. There was literally no data uh, on the company. But that doesn't mean that we couldn't use the system to get context. And so we processed trillion dollars, trillions of dollars of U.S. spend, um, and we could use it to understand the dynamics and to verify a lot of his assumptions on what happens at all the other incumbent competitors in the market, whether that be Domino's or Pizza Hut or local you know, companies. We also had tremendous amount of data on all the food delivery companies and could clearly see that that was a trend. We were actually quite bearish uh, on a lot of the space. There was clearly a consumer phenomenon, but we were worried about the margin side of it. But they had some very interesting approaches that we thought, and it was such a high margin product line. It was already the largest delivery category. You took that amazing founder with really deep insights into the structure of the industry that we could validate with the data, and that's what led to the initial investment. You funded uh, Green Park, uh, Chad Hurley's startup. Is there? Can you talk about what that is? Um, I don't know how much is out there uh, publicly, so I'm gonna I'll, I'll keep this relatively narrow. I mean, obviously, it was a group of exceptional sure. entrepreneurs that had founded you know companies like Zappos and YouTube. Um, and uh, they were very passionate about the sports world uh, because you know they're 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 sports fanatics. They're actually part owners of the Warriors, and uh, they just saw there was a huge opportunity f to create more community around those things, and that there were, you know some of the the gambling that was going on was was pretty um, damaging to a lot of people's um, lives, um, and then a lot of the fantasy sports. Uh, sort of fragmented loyalties and whatnot. And so they had some very specific ideas of how to create a platform that that really enhanced the, the sports experience for the community. Um, and that's the platform that they're building. And Beacon liked it. Uh, yes, there, there, was a, there was a lot to like in this particular company. Have you ever had somebody come in and pitch and you've run their numbers through your systems and discovered that they're full of it? Uh, you know, that that's absolutely not what's happening in the world. Uh, yes, many times. Um, in fact, I'd take it a step further. We've definitely found a number of situations where they were just, just say, doing unsustainable things in order to juice their numbers going into a financing. 
Um, and one of these companies actually became a public company that eventually crashed. Um, but, the, you know, it's, it's that level of multifaceted uh, visibility into what's going on that's critical. But all the time you, you'll meet with a company and you'll find out that one of the co-founders blew out two months ago. And they're, you know, they don't mention that in the initial pitch. And so, you know, having that context so that you can, it may be nothing wrong, but at least you can put that on the table and be very transparent with the founder to really understand what's going on on the company. Of course, every company thinks they have the best team in the world. Um, let's just say that statistically that's not possible or true, and therefore this helps to really sort of cut through the noise and is as, is as important for helping us to save time by not even taking the meeting in and, and uh, using the entrepreneur's time um, as it is to knowing where to proactively reach out to an entrepreneur that's doing something interesting. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. In my notes, I have, uh, you know, ask him, couldn't LinkedIn do the same thing that he's doing? I've seen Beacon with my own eyes. It is light years ahead of what LinkedIn is doing. Could they do it? Possibly. Uh, but it's you're, so, you're way far ahead of that. Yeah, I, I think that what LinkedIn is doing is is very powerful. I think they're a dominant player, and it's very different than what we're doing. I mean, they're... What they're building out is a network. It's a social network. Um, what we're doing is way more narrow, and in the narrow domain in which we compete, um, you know, we're using it for an investment process, um, not for right. But you have you a know. database. Uh, was it forty million? You said forty yeah. million people. You have a database of forty million people. You know where they went to school. You know how many patents they've written. You know how many uh, uh, scientific articles that they've they've written, etc. LinkedIn has some of that same data. I mean, it's voluntary. You know, added in at LinkedIn, um, but but it, it is nowhere near what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the big difference is, is that we're not constrained to any one source. We're using tens, you know, millions of sources in the long tail that we're crawling and those types of things. Now, some of those may be individual apps or web pages or those types of things, but there's a tremendous amount of data out there in in various filings with the government, on company web pages, on people's, you know, 
Twitter accounts or fundraising websites or all sorts of different things. And, you know, no one site is complete. And it's the aggregation and integration of all of those different things, all the values in the join, as they would right. say in data science. Which has got to be tremendously difficult because you're talking about uh, pulling data from an S1 and also some guy's Twitter account. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say that the data munging, the data janitorial work in preparing unstructured data f to be structured is the this 90 percent of the work at least is there data out there that you can't get or it's too difficult to get that it's not worth it that you wish you could oh there are many many things <laughs> that are out there that we wish we could but uh, we have to you know be very cognizant of privacy rules and uh, yeah, I'm not saying anything you're doing is, is not private, although I bet, you know, if you could hook up with Planet Labs and somehow just follow me around, that would probably be uh, very valuable to your data set. Um, but, but there's got to be stuff out there that is just difficult to integrate into what, what it is you're doing. Yeah, I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of companies have, like, interesting windows into data sets, like, for example, Stripe. You know, which is an amazing company and powers or AWS, which powers computing or Stripe in the case of powers payments. But because their customer is the enterprise, that data is not out there. Sure. They, they have to protect that data. So I'm sure I'd love to have the pipeline of how fast every uh, St Stripe customer or AWS customer is growing and how much compute they're using of what kind. But unfortunately, that's not in the public domain. Where did this, you've been working on, on Beacon for 10 years and you said it's been active for about five, yep. learning as it goes. Where did this interest in data come from? So I used to cover consumer wireless uh, going back, you know, 15 years. And when the App Store came out, I was trying to monitor apps that were moving up in the App Store. And it worked when it was, a, you know, a few hundred apps. And then pretty quickly it was thousands and then millions. And it was a joke that I was going to be able to monitor the biggest up-and-coming apps. Um, and so I actually, we built some scrapers and things like that in order to sort of create a leaderboard in essence, of the App Store in the very early days of that uh, to try and get a leg up on finding those opportunities before other people did. Um, so I started working on this in around 2007. Um, uh, very quickly, it got so noisy that it was so one-dimensional with just the app because, you know, the different business models, you, you would it would skew very heavily to, like, a social networking app that sure. was ad-supported because the number of downloads was a huge number. But you'd completely miss, like, an Airbnb yeah. because it took far fewer apps uh, downloads because the transaction size was very hard. So depending on the business model, like very much dictated sort of where you'd put thresholds of, you know, of something crossing the line of being interesting. And so you had to add all sorts of other dimensionality in order to make sense of even the app store itself. And that's when it became very clear this is a much more complex problem and that you really had to go all in if you were going to solve it. Could you do the opposite with Beacon instead of running the potential of a deal in front of you and see if it made sense? Could you in some way have Beacon find the deal? We do that in very large scale. Um, so we're, you know, a big part is, is the anomaly detection systems, that, that something is outperforming on some material dimension of its type of company. Um, which is very different for like 2,000 different types of companies because a database is going to look radically different than a social network, which is going to be completely different than a fashion marketplace. Um, and so, yes, we we monitor something like 15 million companies in real time. And when we see something exceptional, explosive growth, et cetera, team quality happening at one of those companies, it... Uh, it lets us know. You'd be silly to tell me, but I'd be silly not to ask, right? Okay, can you give me an example? Um, we've had a number of, about a third of the companies that we invest in are sourced entirely by the system itself. 
Okay, I'm going to break right in here and make sure you heard what Chris said. A third of Signal Fire's investments were discovered by a computer. That would change venture capital forever. And we're improving constantly uh, month on month. So it's a, it's a rapidly learning system. I'm going to repeat that back. One third of the deals made at Signal Fire were in some way initiated by a learning machine. That's correct. That's astonishing. Um, the best part is it's, it's, it's only getting better. So, I mean, I, I, think, I think what ultimately differentiates is that everyone here has eyes and ears everywhere in the categories that they're doing, not just what they could humanly monitor. Is it possible that someday I'll come to Signal Fire and it'll just be a, a laptop sitting on a coffee table? <laughs> no, no, I, I, I'm not a believer in that. We're decidedly, we believe that fundamentally that humans plus uh, technology beat humans or technology and that there's lots of qualitative aspects. I mean, founders want to know that you've got a partner there, that it's not based on some data set, um, that you're going to be with them for the life cycle of the company through the highs and lows. All of that is true. Um, and you can't tell the grit and determination of a founder from, from the data. You can't see their vision. You can't anticipate future products that haven't launched yet, that type of thing. But it does give tremendous context, and it does let us know where we should focus our time, no differently than the analogy of an MRI using machine learning or something like that, that, that detects potential anomalies that a human radiologist or whatever might look at um, in order to make sure that they don't miss something, um, you know, just from being tired or whatever it might be. If you ever had a team member come on and you've trained them on Beacon and they've been resistant, you know, no, I've been doing this many years. I have a gut. I have a gut for this, Chris. I know where, when a deal is a good one. And you say, well, no, Beacon says it's not. Yeah, so it's not exactly how it works, but effectively anyone who joins here better be all in on this approach. I mean, I think people pre-select to work here um, just by choices they've made in their career. It's actually something we look for. They, they, they don't have to just be great uh, venture capitalists or technologists. They also have to be sort of predisposed to believing that the future you know, leverages data, leverages networks, you know, and that and for them to want to sort of bet their career on that. And so, you know, it's obviously something we filter for, but also something that I think any candidate that'd be talking to us would have to inherently believe that, that this is the future for them to to skip the the sort of maybe more more obvious payday of working for, you know, an incumbent firm and really betting on this sort of next generation. But of course, Choosing the right investment is just half of a venture capitalist's job. The other half is supporting the entrepreneur, guiding a small company as it grows. The startup doesn't care how or why you funded them. They don't care if you used a carrier pigeon or you ran into them in Starbucks or you used some fancy algorithm. They care about how you're going to help them build a company, right? And are they going to be better off working with you? Or are they going to be better off working with someone else? At the end of the day, every venture firm differentiates on their value add. And that's what differentiates commodity capital. And so, you know, we ourselves use systems to do that as well. And so we run a microservices architecture sort of modeled on how the technology industry, and we break all these different services into discrete components. We measure all of them meticulously. And so we run service much more how, you know, the Ritz-Carlton would run service, measuring everything and making sure that we have the highest service quality or highest SLA of, of any venture firm. We run on OKRs, just like the tech companies. Um, and we run ultimately services much more like, like a Stanford hospital would run services. So rather than the GP trying to do everything, you've got a product question. Let me whiteboard. You've got a pricing question. Sure, let's pull out a spreadsheet. Instead of trying to do it as a Swiss Army knife, 
We have a whole network of advisors that are world class in almost every sum function you can imagine. And so I get the, the opportunity to, to refer our founders to a phlebotomist, a podiatrist, an echocardiologist, to use that medical analogy, but in our case, someone around pricing or an engineering leader or those types of things, they're going to give A-plus advice in that subdomain rather than sort of the, the Swiss Army knife approach that has been typical of the venture industry for so many years. As a result of that, this has resonated unbelievably well with our founders, um, and they've given us tr tremendous feedback on how they want us to tune the systems, what services to offer, how to scale that, and we use a systems and data approach, again, even building sort of full SaaS platforms for our founders and for the network of advisors to help make them better at what they do so that the whole community wins together. Is the network of advisors uh, paid per deal, or they have they have skin in the game in the company and the fund itself? So the network of advisors goes even beyond that. Um, you know, like any modern tech company, that sort of deficit spends for a substantial period of time. Uh, management fee does, did not cover and still does not fully cover what we do. Um, and so as a result of that, we raised money from a network of the most connected, most well thought of. Uh, angels and advisors in the Valley after having interviewed over 500 founders on who was their favorite advisor, who would they first go to for capital. And so they own about a third of the firm itself. And collectively, they're a very large investor in the funds. Um, and so in addition to that, they get access to systems, they get co-investment opportunities and all sorts of things. There's no amount of money we could pay these people. Um, because they're already incredibly successful and, in many cases, extremely wealthy. Um, but we find ways to provide more leverage to them than they even provide to us. And when we do that, they want to keep showing up and supporting our portfolio because they themselves win at the same time. When you think of all the industries in which there is a, you know, a young, data-driven industry that, that supplants a old... Uh, an old system, I could see this happening in venture capital. Are there legacy firms on Sand Hill Road that won't exist some years down the road because they're not doing what you're doing? 100%. I mean, you're already seeing the implosion of a, of a number of sort of very well-regarded firms. There, there's huge generational risk between things, and the, the next generation of great you know, venture capitalists want to go to the platform where they're going to be most successful where they're going to have the best competitive advantage and get to work with the most, most inspiring, most world-changing entrepreneurs. And if you are not that platform, you're at risk of being able to recruit the next generation of talent, um, which inherently puts the entire firm at risk. Um, and so you know, I do believe at the end of the day, we are, that we're, our goal is to build that platform where people will be more successful on our systems than they would on any other. So imagine you're an associate joining a new firm. You join with what an internet browser and a phone um, at most places. In our case, you start in a semi-autonomous driving car. It's already feeding you leads. It's already you know, helping wire you into those entrepreneurs with a totally differentiated story of how you can impact and support those entrepreneurs with a you know, just a, a laundry list of, of benefits to the entrepreneur and references that, that support those claims. And so, I mean, I think as somebody entering the industry, why would you want to start, you know, with, with no competitive advantage if you have a chance to sort of be on a platform that gives you every advantage? And so any, any inherent skill or talent you have yourself is just amplified. Our goal is to turn strengths into superpowers through the platform. Does it frustrate you that I'm not going to use names, but that there are some names uh, in venture capital that everyone knows, even if they don't know a thing about venture capital? And Signal Fire is not necessarily one that rises to the top. 
Um, I would say that my my personal bias and that of a number of people on the team is not to be overly promotional on that sense. I mean, certainly we sell one-on-one to an entrepreneur, but we were intentionally in stealth mode for years and years. We didn't have a website until our second fund. Um, And even then, the website beforehand was a splash page with satellites on it that had nothing to do with anything that we were doing by design. Um, You know, I'd say at this point, our entrepreneurs are asking us to be a little more public because it's important for them for recruiting purposes and for credibility in the market. And so we're somewhat reluctantly uh, telling a little bit more about what we're doing, hence, you know, interviews like this. Um, But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we're really f- sort of heads down focused on building the best platform and supporting our founders as best we can. And their references are our lifeblood because we don't rely on brand and marketing and being super loud in the industry. We rely on the referral network of founder to founder, advisor to advisor, you know, spreading the gospel of what we're doing and why, you know, it's so effective for uh, an entrepreneur as a partner. The closed loop. That's right. No different. Chris Farmer with Signal Fire. Next week on Sand Hill Road, Tess Hatch with Bessemer Venture Partners investing in space. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers, executive produced by Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.